0: From the Asset Builder headquarters in Dallas, Texas, welcome to Keep It Simple, a show that discusses simple techniques and philosophies to help de stressify investors around the world. I'm your host, Jared Herzog and welcome to the show. Today, we're learning from our esteemed veteran registered investment advisor, Adam Morse, and our human economic database and fearless CIO, Michael French. And today, we're talking about 401ks. Michael and Adam answer 10 questions that you may or may not have ever thought of or ever heard uh, today concerning 401ks. Guys, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate it. We sincerely love hearing from you guys, too. If you guys have any questions or suggestions about the podcast, please email us at podcast at at AssetBuilder.com. Okay, guys, without further ado, let's get to the show. All right, good morning, gentlemen. How are y'all doing this morning? Doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing excellent. I got a question for you, Adam. Yeah. Start us I'm off. Listening. So, if someone you knew knew nothing about finance and you had to recommend them one single book, one, that's all I could. Read an all-encompassing book that can explain investing
1: in finance. Which book would you recommend? I feel like normally when you read an investment book, it's coming from a certain perspective or viewpoint. It's not—they're not so much educational as they are kind of like trying to prove that you know they've kind of figured it out. Um, mm-hmm. I think there are a couple. Um, Michael, you probably remember the title, but uh, John Bogle's book—it's like the Principles of Indexing or something. It was like the book yeah. that, that started. Yeah. I don't remember the title, but yeah. Um, well, we'll look it up and put it in the show notes um, when we post <laughs> it. But that book is really good. I recommend that to a lot of clients just because it kind of, it's interesting for one. I mean, it kind of gives you John Bogle's background and how he kind of got started with, he's, for those that don't know, John Bogle is the founder of Vanguard. He basically started the the indexing method. Um, and so it's really interesting. It's really educational. And. Again, though, even then, you know, from my perspective, that's the right way to do it. Right. Um, So I'm a big fan of that. And then there's a lot of just interesting books that I think kind of make your brain work a little bit. Um, Freakonomics is a really interesting Mm -hmm. book only because and it's not even so much of a pure economics book. It's not. It's taking kind of like an economic mindset and an economic way of thinking. And then applying that to a lot of different interesting areas um, that I think is just kind of a, a cool story. Um, and then there was also one really interesting one. And this is kind of my, oh, I'll pull this one out from left field because it's really specific. But it's called The Great Crash Ahead. And I'd have to look for the name of the author. Again, check your show notes. Mm. Um, but it's called The Great Crash Ahead. And it kind of goes back through the 08, 09 financial crisis. Um kind of explains from, from the author's perspective, how we got there. And then maybe what he thinks the the lessons that can be learned from that are and how we can avoid that in the future. So for anybody investing today, I think it's a really valuable book. Interesting. Michael, what about you?
2: Um, we, we, there's, I forget the name of the book, but it was like the, I think the, the one that Adam's referencing that Bogle, it's like the little book Something like the Little Book of Common of Common Sense Investing—that may be the name of it. The Little Book of Common Sense Investing, and it was—it was like a simple a simple read. Um, the by Little Vogel. Book of Common Sense Investing. Yep. Was that it? Okay. Yep. Um, which which is good. And then I guess it depends on on what somebody's asking. So like that that's a good book for just helping you figure out how to invest. But then I think for a lot of people, when you think about reading a book, it's how to get your house in order, like Mm -hmm. how to get, how to live within my means or how to do something like that. And uh, Andrew Holland has written uh, some, some books that just give you some basic principles. Like, you know, if you know, if you, if you've spoken to Andrew, you also get a sense for just like, Frugality. It's not just mm-hmm. make more money. It's also eh, spend less. Uh, mm-hmm. Think creatively. Yeah. And so, I think there are other books that I would recommend if that was the issue. And then a book that I haven't read but that I'm kind of curious uh, to to read. I don't know if I'll get around to it. Is a book called The Broke Millennial, and it's something that somebody asks, like, "Hey, have you have you read this?" And I haven't. Um, but, you know, people who um, kind of 20, 20 year olds who are dealing with, man, I've got this massive amount of debt and um, what am I going to do? One of the things that I think probably just looking 10, 20 years out, one of the things that's most concerning is those are probably the same people who are going to inherit about a trillion dollars from uh, their parents as they pass away. And are they prepared for it? Um, So it's it's on my list, but I haven't read it yet, so I can't recommend it. But uh, I do think that, you know, any book that's addressing that issue is kind of going to be one of the next next issues that we face as a society. That's for sure.
0: Well, cool. Well, thanks for your good answers as usual. So today we're talking about 401ks and 10 or less uh, common questions associated with 401ks. Um, This is taken from my Motley Fool article, and I'm going to pitch some of these questions to Michael and Adam, uh, who have not seen these questions before. So we're going to start with Adam once again. Yeah. Uh, All right. Adam, concerning 401ks. Can I use my money
1: before I retire? Great question. Common question. Um, the answer is, as usual in the world of finance, it depends. Um, the first thing I would do is make a, uh, kind of describe the, the difference here. We are speaking specifically about 401ks, okay? Not IRAs, not, not tax-deferred funds that have been taken outside of your 401k, but in plan money. So, for those that don't know, your 401k obviously is, um, and this also goes for things like 403bs, um, TRS if you're a teacher in Texas, things like that, sponsored by your employer, where out of each paycheck you contribute money, and the company may or may not match to it. You're not taxed on that money as income, and it can grow over time. Obviously, locked away until you're you're 65. So, what you're asking is are there examples where I can actually access some of that money that I've saved before I reach retirement without, Mm. without paying penalties? So most of the time, the answer is no. If you access that money, you're going to pay a penalty on it. Okay. An early withdrawal penalty over and above income tax. So you'll pay income tax on it and you'll pay an additional, usually about 10% fee to the IRS for taking out early. There are some instances where you can access it early. Um, There are, Um, medical hardship instances where Mm -hmm. if you have a documented uh, reason that you need to access those for medical care, uh, you can access them without penalty. Um, And I know there are, and this is actually kind of a, a whole nother episode in and of itself, but there's also a lot of, and this is plan specific. So depending on where you work, you would need to get with your HR department or look at your 401k document specifically and see how yours is set up. But there have been a lot of 401ks that have allowed folks to borrow against it. So you could essentially take a loan out of your own 401k. Mm. Now, that's not the same as taking it out early. Okay, You are taking a loan out against it. Um, I wouldn't recommend it in most cases. um, And there's a lot of 401ks that are now trying to undo that damage they're trying to find a way to because a lot of employees rely on it whether it's to put a down payment down on a house buy a car whatever the case is but this is where it helps to have a fiduciary on your side because these companies are realizing these 401k sponsors are realizing well these loans aren't necessarily just because you can't have access to them doesn't mean you should mm-hmm. and a lot of times these employees are making those decisions without the advice of any fiduciary, without the advice of someone that's in their corner saying, is this a good or bad thing to do? And they're just doing it. So there are a lot of, of caveats where you can access the money early, but I would always stress, make sure you read the fine print, make sure that the situation that you're looking to get the funds out for is actually an excused reason. But then underlining all that, make sure that you've exhausted all your other options. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like we talked about at the beginning of this episode, it's there sometimes as a resource. But, you know, if you need to buy that house, is there a way that maybe you can just wait? You know, can you increase your savings rate and maybe wait another year? You know, is there maybe a less instant way, but a long term, more beneficial and financially healthy way to achieve whatever the goal is without accessing the 401k? Because again. That 401k is there for retirement savings. It's there for your future self and your future mm-hmm. expenses. It's not there. It's not designed to be there for things today. And anything you take out today is losing out on years and years and years and years of compound return. Mm-hmm. That's an excellent answer. Michael, here's one
0: for you. So what if I retire before age 59 and a half?
2: In other words, can I take Congratulations. Out my- <laughs> Go ahead. Are you you asking, like, what what are the the rules you have? What are the kind of guardrails in place for the 401k? So there's a couple of things. There's something called the Rule of 55 that says uh, if you stop working uh, for any reason, so you can get fired, you can get laid off, you can uh, retire, uh, you can take that money out penalty-free. So if you just look up the Rule of 55 – um, it, it helps you avoid the penalty for early withdrawal that's supposed to kick in uh, prior, if when you take the money out prior to 59 and a half. Mm. Um, there's another rule that's in place, and I'm not as familiar with it, but there's a provision in the IRS code that says you can take out what they term substantially equal payments based on life expectancy, which means that at, at any age, even before 55, you should be able to to begin with drawing money. But, so you take whatever the balance is, you go through the life expectancy calculator, and you take it out. Um, you have to not be working for the, the company that holds the 401k. Right, um, right. And you have to continue the distributions. So, you know, through the end of... Um, because they're, they're spread out over your life, um, I, I think one of the things that you would kind of encounter is, so I'm depleting these assets. Like Adam said, you're really, your retirement is saving for your future self. So let's say you're 40, and you want to begin withdrawing funds because you got laid off, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the amount of money that you're going to make if you calculated the life you're expectancy and found out, you know, let's say you had a 40-year life expectancy at that point, whatever your distributions are going to be from your 401k aren't actually going to help, uh, in, you know, in a situation like that. You know, let's say you had a $100,000 401k, um, $1,000 a year, is that really, a couple thousand dollars a year, is that really going to make a material difference, Um you know, if you're 40 and you've gotten laid off, probably not. So there are some some allowances that the government makes. It just it just uh, would really have to be a specific situation. For most people, it doesn't make sense. So you know, you may have some unique circumstances that make it uh, a good option for you. I'll be honest. I don't think I've ever spoken to somebody who had a convincing case that uh, would have ended up with me saying this is your best option. Mm. So, yeah, it, I, if, I would agree in that. And and Michael, tell me if you disagree. But
1: I, I don't think I've ever had someone explain me to a situation where they said, "Well, I wouldn't be able to retire early, except for substantially equal distributions. Now I can." Right. right? Typically, when we're talking talking about retiring early, if you're having to calculate these substantially equal distributions, you you probably a good sign to rethink the idea of early retirement, or at least that early of a retirement. Early retirement typically means you're probably not all that worried about having to make it an extra couple of years till you reach fifty nine.
2: I would agree with that.
1: Yeah. So,
0: Adam, how much can I contribute to my four hundred one k in this twenty twenty year?
1: Yeah, so this is a number that gets adjusted um, every so often just to kind of keep pace of inflation and cost of living and wages growth. But as for 2021, uh, the number is 19.5, so $19,500 of employee contributions. Now, they do also allow for what's called a catch-up contribution, which um, you may have heard about. You, you may maybe familiar with that concept on the IRA side, but within the 401k space, Um, If you are 50 or older, um, you're allowed to increase that contribution by 6,500. So you would actually end up uh, at, what is that, uh, 26,000 total for the year for your contribution. Now, that is strictly coming out of the employee's pocket, right? So that's being deducted from my paycheck each, however often I get paid, two weeks, monthly, whatever. That's not including my company matching, Uh, and if you're lucky enough, to work for a company that does this, maybe you're familiar, but obviously employers as a benefit to employees is kind of an incentivization to want to work there. Um, They are allowed to match uh, a certain percentage of your contribution. So what that matching level is varies widely. Um, I know a lot of places are um, trying to implement a graduating scale so that it, it increases over time. But the idea being that $26,000 limit or 19.5 limit based on your age, that's from the employee. That's not including any matching coming from the, the employer as a benefit. So it's a pretty clear cut answer there. All right, Michael. So
0: here's, the, here's a good question How
2: much should I contribute to my 401k? Yeah. So there's not a, this is the answer for everybody, but what Adam just mentioned gives you kind of a baseline. Um, let's say that you, that, that you came to me and you said, hey, Michael, um, if I'm going to invest a dollar, uh, would you be willing to put in 50 cents for every dollar I invest? And I said, yes. Um, that's employee ma- uh, employer matching. It would be hard to make an argument that would say you shouldn't continue mm-hmm. to put in those dollars until I at least stop matching because you've you've got a fifty percent return immediately. Now, uh, if you can't afford the dollar, if you don't have a dollar, um, you know, then that may be a reason not to contribute. But by you can't afford a dollar, I'm not that doesn't mean because you need to buy a boat. that that might mean mm-hmm. because you have you know medical bills to keep your spouse alive or something like that. That'd be okay, we all understand that. But for the most part, if your employer is willing to match at any level what you're putting in, that is an immediate uh, return, and so why wouldn't you at least take advantage of that? Uh, the other thing right. is there are a lot of calculators. If you, if you have a 401k, uh, you will be able to go out and, and access your 401k and use the online tools that they have that will tell you, hey, this is what my current contributions are going to equal in future dollars. Um, sometimes those future dollars are brought back into today's dollars, uh, you know inflation adjusted back to today. So you can kind of get an idea of what would I be living on and then do I need to contribute more or contribute less? Um, I think, you know, for a lot of people, I, I, early on, I was one of those people who contributed the max. I worked for a company that had a great matching plan, and at some point realized I was going to retire with way more money than I actually thought I needed. Um, mm-hmm. it, it just, it, I, I was saving too much. Uh, I was one of those odd people. Um, so I scaled back a little bit. Um I think for most people, the answer is probably different. I think most people probably aren't saving enough. It's not common that people are like, "Oh, I've oversaved for retirement." Yeah. So, if you if you're asking yourself that question, like, "Am I saving enough?" Start by going out and uh, looking for some online calculators provided by your 401k uh, provider. Uh, log into your 401k and look, and just see kind of what you're going to have uh just from your 401k obviously uh, you may have social security benefits you may have a pension you may have other uh money available to you but that's always a good place to start to figure out hey am i contributing enough
0: could you say that the answer is as much as possible to how much should i contribute
2: that'd be fair yeah i mean it, it, every dollar that you put away is basically i'm paying future me to not work you know, yeah. I'm paying my future self. So I think the, the, the more, like there's a point where you would say as much as possible, I think that's a fair way to say it because I do have to pay for my kids' braces. I do have to pay for, um, you know, a current house, food, uh, you know, shelter, clothing, all those things. So it, it's not contribute, you know, at the... Contribute so much that you can't afford to live life today, right? right. Um, but always there's a balance. Like if I don't, uh, if I don't have a $600 a month car payment, um, does that allow me to make a bigger contribution to my 401k? Yes. yes. So can you get by with a smaller car payment, or can you pay cash for a car? Um, that then allows you to make those contributions. And over time, that's really significant. So, um, you know, the car is a depreciating asset. Your 401k uh, is an appreciating asset. So it's a better investment. That's a great point.
1: Yeah, Adam, one of the ways, just is kind of an add-on to that, that we kind of help, like I do this with a lot of clients, you can kind of reverse engineer that process By starting with your expenses and saying, okay, in an idealized world, how low could I get my expense structure without, you know, like Michael said, I don't want to live on, you know, cat food, but maintaining my life and being able to do all the things that we need to do, how much is left to save? (laughs) And then once you have that number, what Michael, I think, is trying to describe is let's say you end up with, I'm just going to pick a number. After all my expenses, I have $1,000 a month that I can save. Mm-hmm. Now I have to choose where do I put that money? Do I put it in my mattress? Do I put it in my savings account, my taxable account, my 401k, IRA? What do I do with it? And the key is you want to start with your 401k and keep putting that $1,000 in your 401k until you've reached the the matching limit. So, mm-hmm. don't look anywhere else until you've saved enough that you're maximizing the amount the company will match because it's a free return that you're not going to get anywhere else.
0: So, Adam, what does it mean to be, quote, vested with a V, unquote?
1: Yeah. So, being vested within a 401k is just the concept of um, having full ownership of every dollar in your 401k. So, from day one, when you start at a at a company, you have full ownership of all the money that you have put in. So we referenced earlier how I can put money in on my end, the company can put some money in to match on their end. Whether I work there for 1 day or 10 years, whenever I leave, I always get to take all the money that I have contributed. But vesting refers to the amount of money that the company has put in to my account that I get to take whenever I leave. So a lot of companies have different vesting periods depending on, you know, a lot of different factors. Let's just say five years was the was the standard time. So maybe in year one, if I work there for one calendar year, maybe I only get to take 20 percent of whatever the company has matched and then so on and so forth. So the longer I stay, the more that I am allowed to take out of the 401k when I go. If I hmm. don't reach the full vesting period that I'm having to leave something on the table. Um, And give those give those contributions back to the company. So it's just a way that the company, again, is trying to incentivize you to stick around, to work there long term. um, So that you can, you know, take full ownership of the of the account.
0: Uh, Michael, can I borrow from my 401k
2: if I wanted to? So the rules governing whether or not you can borrow are actually established by the plan itself. So the plan gets to tell you, hey, this is uh, what our rules are. So there's uh, there's not a absolutely you can uh, answer or an absolutely no, you cannot answer. It just depends on your plan. Um, mm-hmm. I think the question most people should ask themselves or why am I borrowing? Uh, it, it's this common a lot of people believe that it's just a good idea like I'm paying myself back in interest uh, the reality is if you take out twenty thousand dollars from your from your plan to buy mm-hmm. you know a house um, or a car or a boat or you know for whatever reason uh, mm-hmm. that money is not growing and so as you pay it back over the next five years well that $20,000 uh, may have increased in value by 50%, may have doubled in value. Uh, yours hasn't done that, uh, because it wasn't there. So sure, you've paid it back, and sure, you've paid interest, but uh, the money itself wasn't working for you. So it's it's generally, uh, it's something to be cautious before you do. So,
0: Adam, what can I do if I have an old 401k from a previous employer?
1: That's a really good question. Um, And this is actually something that, I mean, just on a practical level, we see all the time. Um, We we refer to these as orphan 401ks. So what that would be is, you know, if you work at company A uh, for, you know, five years and then you leave and you go take another job at company B, well, unless you, you take action and do anything, that old 401k at company A is going to stay there. It's going to stay within the plan. It's going to stay invested the way it is. Um, and you're still going to be paying fees within that 401k plan to the administrator and to the plan advisor and so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. we see this a lot because obviously it's rare nowadays for people to work at one place for 45 years and only have one 401k. And it's really easy to kind of forget about those old 401ks. But there's actually a lot of value into not leaving them within the plan. So if we're talking about options, obviously one would be what I've already stated. You do nothing. You just leave it in the plan. Um, a lot of plans will kind of pester you because they want to get it out of the plan. Others will stay radio silent and will let you leave it there for 30 years if you don't you know, take take action on your end. But you can theoretically just leave it in the plan. I wouldn't recommend it. Mm -hmm. Your other option, um, there's a couple more options. One of your other options would be, depending on the 401k that you're moving into, so you go to company B, some companies will allow you to merge that old 401k into your new 401k. So that would be an option for you, whether or not that's the, the most optimal situation would depend on your own circumstances and what the actual rules of the new 401k are. But then probably the most common and what I think for most people makes the most sense option would be to roll what's called rolling over that 401k into an IRA. So you're basically taking your assets that are in the 401k that have not been taxed, right? And you're moving them into an account that will let them remain untaxed. So you're not owing any taxes on it. You're putting it in an IRA that will also grow untaxed until you take distributions in retirement. And the benefit of doing that is twofold, really. One is you have much more uh, control over the way that account is invested. So whether that's something you're doing on your own or whether that's something you do with an advisor um, or a fiduciary, you have the whole world of investments available to you. Right? You have full control of your own money. Mm-hmm. Whereas within the 401k, you're going to be limited to the same options you had when you were working at that company. But more importantly, the second thing is you're getting out from under those implicit fees that a lot of people don't even know are there. You're probably not even going to see mm-hmm. them. But you are paying fees within that plan. the The assets in the plan, a percentage is taken out to pay, you know legal advice. and uh, the there are plan advisors whose job it is to decide what options should we make available to the employees within the plan. So getting out from that 401k is just going to reduce your overhead and keep more of those assets in the account to work for you. So are there any other options? There probably are. Uh, those are the three most common by by a long shot. Um, mm-hmm. If If there's anything else you would want to do, probably something you need to sit down with someone that is is working with you to flesh that out because it sounds like it's going to be a more complex situation. Uh, but for the average do-it-yourself investor, those are the three most common, common outcomes.
0: Okay. So Michael, speaking of complicated answer, how should I invest my 401k? And this is basically what is the asset allocation I should consider when investing my 401k?
2: Well, honestly, I think you're, there, there's a couple of things. Every every uh, plan has something called a QDIA, which is a qualified default investment alternative. And mm-hmm. so, if you're asking this question uh, because you're not sure what to do, um, there's a good chance the best thing for you to do is allow your money to be invested in that default alternative. The reality is that uh, for a lot of people, it's probably your best option because it's the thing that it, it takes the least amount of work and the company automatically basically puts you in an investment strategy that's more or less appropriate for people who generally have your same time horizon. Now, Mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily adjust for risk tolerance. It doesn't do anything like that. But if you're just, hey, I want to be hands-off, that's the best thing to do. If you want to be more hands-on, then there's no real way to give an answer. Because uh, what's the best thing for a person who— Has a large risk tolerance versus what's the best thing for a person who has a small risk tolerance. Uh, There are things like risk capacity that aren't even usually talked about, Mm -hmm. um, which is different than risk tolerance. It's not how do I feel about markets going up and down, it's do I have alternatives if this money isn't available? Um, So, you know, can I work longer? Could I do different things? So there's a a large number of questions that you have to answer before you just said, This is what's best for you. So, if you're outside of the QDIA, uh, it really involves spending more time doing a lot of research. And, uh, you know, again, your 401k provider probably has a lot of information that uh, they can provide for you. And if you uh, take the time uh, to go through and, and educate yourself, Uh, you may find that there are better alternatives for you.
0: So, Adam, can I contribute to both my 401k and an IRA?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You you definitely can. Um, The really only thing to be aware of there is traditionally for most folks, the benefit of contributing to an IRA outside of your, your 401k uh, is the tax deduction that you get, right? So if I put 2000 into my traditional IRA, I get to reduce my income for that year. Mm. But there's a scale for income level that the IRS has put in place. For certain income levels, if I'm over certain income levels, I do not get to take that deduction. So it doesn't say you can't still put the money in and take advantage of the the tax-deferred growth but the upfront tax deduction that I get is, is limited. So, um, you would need to obviously sit down with somebody or look up the table yourself and figure out based on your income, whether it's single filer, or joint filer, what your actual limit is. Um, but just be aware of that. You certainly can contribute to both, but based on your own situation, you may or may not get the full benefit of, of contributing to a, a traditional IRA. Obviously you're, your question might be, well, why wouldn't I contribute to a Roth IRA? Well, -hmm. at those income limits, you are not allowed to contribute to a Roth. All
0: right, Michael, you ready to take this last question? Yeah. All right. So do, Michael, do I get a tax break for my 401k contributions?
2: Yeah. So um, you have federal income tax and whatever (laughs) you contribute uh, is... Uh, you don't pay the federal income tax on that. So, if you make a two thousand dollar contribution, uh, that two thousand uh, dollars is not part of your federal income tax. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it should be noted that that means it's deferred. You will actually, according to today's rules, uh, pay that uh, tax later when you begin distributions. So, it's not. It's not. A free, free lunch, but taxes are not paid today. Um, and it's also worth noting that you have social security and Medicare tax, uh, for most people. Um, and you still pay the tax on those pieces. Um, again, you, you don't pay those later. Uh, so you, 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 End up paying all of these taxes one time, and so uh, you do get a tax break though today. In, in short, yes, you get a you get a you get a tax break.
0: Thank you so much for making it to the end of this podcast episode. The audio actually cut off there at the end before we got to say goodbye to Michael and Adam. But they would just like to say thank you so much for listening to our podcast each and every episode. We can't wait to see you guys next time. Thank you very much. If you have a question for either Michael or Adam concerning this topic or anything else, please visit assetbuilder.com/podcast. There you can find their contact information as well as the show notes for every single episode. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as an offer, solicitation, recommendation or endorsement of any particular security, product or service. For more information, visit assetbuilder.com.